When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, everyone. It's Brian King. Millwall goalkeeper from 1967 to 1975. I spent the happiest years of my playing career at the Den and I'd love to share some of the memories, stories and personalities with you in my new book, The Lion's King. In my time, I've met some amazing characters, including Harry Cripps, Barry Kitchener, Sir Alf Ramsey, as well as the great Gordon Banks and Lev Yashin himself. My book is packed with laughs, tears, tragedies, and triumphs. So join me in my journey down Cold Blow Lane and beyond. The Lion's King, available now for $19.99 at www.littlehellbooks.com. That's www.littlehellbooks.com. Come on, you lions. You're listening to Akin Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin, set no well, Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to the return of an idea that I ran with during the last lockdown in the summertime um, to try and do some uh, shorter episodes. Whether this is going to be short or not, I don't know yet. But I did some of these during the course of the summertime lockdown where we look back in the past at various random fixtures from the past. Now I was intending to do one of these yesterday and circumstances got in the way of things rather so I'm going to try and do a combo, a two for one deal. You, we, we know that you like these um, bog off kind of arrangements listeners don't you? So you get two random dates for the price of one today so that's that's always going to be good value. Um, now, I tried to do this as an on, on this day kind of thing. Now, the thing with on this day approaches is not, not every day in the past carries, you know, news or compulsive content. I've chosen two very different articles from the, the British newspaper archive, which is a fantastic resource. I don't know if you're, you know, kind of nerdy like me and love old newspapers. I, I just simply love um, the look the wording, the content of these old papers from the past. And I subscribe to the British Newspaper Archive. There you have it. I've confessed it to you, dear listeners. Um, 
but to try and find you know articles on on a, a specific chosen day from the past as selected by our random.org website it doesn't always produce um, in-depth articles sometimes it just produces the pools for, uh, fixtures for a single day but we'll try and do our best with whatever we turn up for both of these days now first up is a fixture from 1901 um, it's actually Southampton 3 Millwall nil played on the 23rd of November 1901 which was a, a big year in Mill history and a big year in in national history I suppose with the death of Queen Victoria uh, near the start of 1901 the end of the Victorian age the start of the Edwardian brief Edwardian era prior to the catastrophic year of 1914 that, that lay just 13 years ahead as this fixture took place. Now the the actual newspaper article itself comes from a publication called the Hampshire Independent. So a Hampshire newspaper, Southampton being the home club here. Um, and it's in the Southern League. So it's the result finished as a bit of a thumping for Millwall, Southampton 3, Millwall 0. And Lions at this point had actually um, had a near-death experience. I think we've, we've touched on this in some of the history shows that I did with Neil Fissler during the course of the summertime. Um, there was a, a problem with our dockside ground. That's the what was called the athletic ground, which is nowadays to be found on the same site as the ASDA at Cross Harbour. Anyone that works in and around Canary Wharf can go and see the site of our, one of our early grounds because it's now covered by the ASDA. So next time you're buying yourself a pint of milk for the office or getting yourself a sandwich, perhaps you might wander down to Asda. You probably don't if you're working in the, the high finance corporate world of international, um, you know, wheeling dealing. But you might find yourself near Cross Harbour Station. And that was where the athletic ground was. Um, as the name implied, the athletic ground um, was a much needed facility on the island at that time, which was still highly industrialised. Docklands, docks were the driving industry of the area and uh, the, the trainer of the time a chap we've also touched on in some of the previous history shows with Neil Bob Hunter was very keen on physical exercise rightly so of course um, as a means of trying to improve people's lives and as a means also of um, improving the players available to to Millwall Athletic Football Club as they were called at that point so the athletic ground literally was an athletics ground, so oval shaped, or you know, however you describe the the classical athletics uh, track shape. Um, it also staged events such as cycling, athletics itself. Um, I've seen adverts for tug of war contests, all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff, as well as the as well as the football, um, all under the stewardship of, of Bob Hunter, who was a major figure that we we, we touched on in one of the. Um, the really good history shows of Neil that we did during the course of the summertime. I do recommend, if this is a subject that interests you, dear listener, then to go and check some of those out because they're, they're really good. And uh, Neil's research was um, was top. You know, uh, it's well worth having a having a listen to. The problem with the athletic ground, though, was that it was required by the dock owners company. Um, more space was needed. The docks were in full boom. This was the you know the height of the uh, the empire trade and it would come into the isle of dogs to be unloaded and they needed more space ever more space so where the lions or the 
the dockers, as they were known, they became the lines later on, where they were located was needed by the docks company. Consequently, the ground was repossessed at the very end of 1900-101 season. So it was a real crisis. The club um, was left homeless after a reasonably successful period. The Lions of the South were known as one of the major clubs in English football of the time. But to be suddenly pitched homeless with no obvious um, alternative to be made available, because that wasn't the deal with the dock company, um, left the club in a situation where folding was considered. So um, I always think that it's, there's a slight touch of the miraculous that we still have a football club called Millwall because it really probably should have ended there and then on the Isle of Dogs in the, uh, the early spring of 1901 when we were made homeless and I think many of the major figures of our club's history just couldn't see a way forward. Wonderfully, wonderfully, a location was found and that location as we've mentioned a good few times over the course of our podcasts was at what we now call Millwall Park um, near the the railway arches it's now the Dockland Light Railway Arches back then an industrial railway and the, the literally the ground had to be hewn from what was probably fairly muddy waste ground located on the Isle of Dogs scrap land that no one else was using wanted had any use for um so a, a huge achievement i think um to for the club to a to survive financially survive and then to physically create a football ground from scratch in the space of a close season so we're talking about what two months three months perhaps from the end of the athletics ground to the start of what was called then North Greenwich, no relationship to the North Greenwich where the O2 is located now on the other side of the river, of course. Now, I don't know if you do stuff like this. I sometimes, back in the normal times when you wander around London and you know not worry about being locked down or under the cosh of the, uh, the, the restrictions, the COVID restrictions, I sometimes find myself over at Millwall Park. Um, it's one of those places where it might sound a little wistful and I apologise if I'm being wistful to your dear listener. But sometimes I think to myself, you can close your eyes there under the railway arches and just imagine the babble of the crowd, the roar of the goals, the, the crunch of the tackle and the referee's whistle in what is now just Parkland. Back then, it was the home of Mill Athletic Football Club for about nine years up until 1910 when we would relocate to Colblow Lane. But I'm straying from the path of today's fixture, which is Southampton 3, unfortunately, at the, uh, a nil-nil, played at the Dell, 23rd of November 1901. Now, one of the side effects of Millwall losing its ground, it didn't just lose its ground at that point, it also lost most of its uh, team. These were professional players, and with every chance of the club folding in about April-May of 1901, um, players had to, you know, earn money, moved on to other clubs. So, the Mill lineup at Southampton in the November, shortly after survival, shall we say, um, is, is relatively unfamiliar one to me. I mean, I don't class myself as a particular club historian. There are others out there that do that kind of thing far, far better than me. There's only one name in the Mill team that immediately springs to recognition for me, and that's the goalkeeper, a huge figure known as John, known as Tiny, John Tiny Joyce playing in goal for the Lions. 
The rest of the mill lineup are names that don't immediately spring to, to my um, knowledge. So I'm going to look at Tiny Joyce shortly. I'm just going to read out the mill team that took the field at the Dell for this particular game. Uh, so in the front line, on the wing, we've got a, a Curtin, Watkins, Hulse, Ferrier and Hamilton. The, the halfbacks, back line, Dove, Bell and Riley, and then the fullbacks, Dunn and Haley, Halley perhaps. And in goal, the formidable figure of Tiny Joyce. Now, once again, I will stick a link into the show that Neil and I did in the summer because we touched on the life and times of John Tiny Joyce. John William Joyce, to give him his full name. Um, great photo of him. I'll, I'll publish this as well um, with his tough hard face these were hard men in these teams dear listeners and john tiny joyce was a tough character and he's staring back at me as i'm speaking to you right now his eyes always fixing me under his glare so i better not say anything out of place for tiny because he was um a big man by the standards of the day six foot one was reportedly standing which i suppose gives you a sense of the um, I'm going to touch on a bit of politics now. God, but the 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 poverty of the day. Um, for a man of six foot one to be classed as a large um a, a, a giant, so hence the reverse nickname of tiny. Um, described in in an article as having a ponderous size is it just gives you a clue on how big most men of the time were. Um, now I'm going to read you a piece. I won't read it all. It's a piece from um, the Athletic News, I believe, um, written a few years before, so probably in the late 1890s, regarding John William Joyce, known as Tiny, as it says here. Um, the reason for the soubriquet, great word, I might use that more often. The reason of the soubriquet is because he is not tiny, okay? Um, he is as strong as a horse, the Athletic News says, a giant. Lusty, vigorous, over six feet high and weighs apart, close upon 16 stone. Free and easy, almost happy-go-lucky. You smile at this modern Hercules as he answers to the nickname of Tiny, the suggestion of a puny stripling, uh, but obviously a man of some, some size. Um, but then colloquialisms used in the world of sport generally smack of the Gilbertian. Um, I'm taking it to mean Gilbert and Sullivan. Um, that one has got got past me, I'm presuming Gilbert and Sullivan. This is almost poetic, this stuff. There is, too, an elasticity in the expressions of the enthusiast. That is, at times, far beyond the comprehension of the layman. For instance, to speak of the lions of the south is to speak of Millwall. And when Leo, Leo the lion, is not ominously wagging of his tail, when he is suffering from recovery, as he is at the moment... His Majesty is a tame docker, or by way of change, a bonny boy blue. I don't know what that's all about. I'm just reading it as it is. That's, each term is synonymous with Mill, and at the Isle of Dogs, Tiny stands for the ponderous Joyce. Mill's goalkeeper is quite a character. Like many others who guard the citadel and prevent the capitulation of the fortress, more football phraseology, he has peculiarities all of his own. Apologies, I'm trying to read this as it's written, so some of it sounds a bit bit stumbly, so, you know, forgive me. Money-back guarantee, etc. Um, there's a quote here from Tiny. He says, I play football, I keep goal, I am happy, comfortable and contented. This is what I feel... Oh, no, it's not a quote. It's what I feel sure what Joyce would say if you were asked questions about his career. He is what one would call a natural young man, one who never alters. 
I've been playing football ever since I was a lad and I've always kept goal. I think that's another made-up quote. I think they didn't actually interview him. They just make quotes up to what they think he would say. And that's a technique I'm going to try and employ more often. Saves a lot of hassle, I reckon. Um, yes, it is. In each sentence, these are the things he would sum up, use to sum up his career, this, this writer says. It's a great technique. I like this. Um, Tiny is the type of man who, when placed in a certain position, would quietly and conscientiously strive to do his best. If he failed, it would not be his fault. He was cradled in a rare footballing centre. Burton-on-Trent is his birthplace, 27 years ago, when he first saw the lights in the town of Beer and taking to chasing the big ball when he was quite a little boy, found himself one of the stalwarts of the Overseal Club. That must be a Burton Club, Overseal. As goalkeeper for this junior organisation, he soon set people talking, and when he was in his teens, he was induced to go south to Southampton as understudy to the famous Jack Robinson. And whilst he was a saint, that Joyce was rechristened, so to speak. That's tiny. Bloody, bloody, blah. Um, it's a long old article. Um, I'm going to finish here. Joyce has long been regarded as one of the most efficient custodians in the South. He is full of agility. Once in football regalia, he is quite kittenish. That's a strange way to think of somebody. Kittenish has been... He has keen perception and is more, and more than ordinary gift of anticipation. His great reach and daring dives for the ball, the power to return the ball far up the field, are features of his play. Let him be on the winning side. Let him be conscious that his side is on the highway to victory and he is almost an insurmountable barrier. Like all the members of the Millwall team, he is in high feather because of better prospects. And instead of being a pessimist, as he was a week or two ago, I don't know when this was written precisely. Like a good many more, firmly now convinced that his side will have a most successful season. Joyce, who, by the way, started life as a collier, so he's worked in the mines, is one of the pillars of the local cricket team, plays a bit of cricket too, as a fast right-hand bowler. He set up a reign of terror amongst batsmen and at the end of the season had taken 52 wickets for 205 runs. There's a long, there's actually, I actually read the whole piece there. Um, I'll probably edit some of that bit, some of that out because some of it was a little bit um, wordy, but I think you get a sense of the um, the impression that John Tiny Joyce created. And there's a wonderful other clip that I found here where this is during the First World War. Um, he's playing still at the age of forty in the in the um, the wartime, you know, casual leagues. That I think, I think probably the best description we can give for the uh, servicemen who are moving around the country to to um, serve on the Western Front mostly. Um, but it describes a game where he's playing at the age of 40 and got involved in a little bit of nastiness with a game a game between Millwall and QPR. Um, as it describes here, the, the game between Rangers and Millwall at New Cross was marred by one of those unpleasant happenings. Oh dear. Dale and Joyce were the chief actors. And without going into details, it may be said that an encore is not desirable. So it sounds like they've had a, they've had a row. Um, he's still playing at the age of 42. Um... We have touched upon this Neil Neil's um, piece that he did for for the uh, the historical shows was brilliant, and I'm going to put the link into that if you want to find out a little bit more about uh, Tiny Joyce. But he was in goal for this on this day for the Dockers, as I must keep remembering to call them. They weren't the Lions at this stage; they were the Dockers. But one name did leap out at me on the Southampton side of things. So although this is a Millwall show, you're going to have to forgive me dear listeners, because the name of C.B. Fry at, um, I think that must be right back, possibly left back, can't tell which way the team is formed here, 
C.B. Fry is quite a famous one. Um, so I thought I'd have a quick look at his Wikipedia entry. He's a, a very well-known uh, name, more well-known, to be honest, as a Test match cricketer. He played for England in in cricket. He played uh, as an England football international as well in 1896. Played a game um, against um, against Ireland in, in 1901, coincidentally. So this was the same year that he made his England football um, debut. He was also an England cricket in um international a batsman mostly um quite a quite a colorful figure i mean this this when you go back to these victorian sportsmen public school he was not from the working classes like our own tiny that we've just heard about he was um a product of the upper classes schooled at repton school and then oxford university but some sportsmen i mean it has to be said that um he played for Surrey, England, a batting average for a test match batting average of 32. Um, a bowler at county level, wickets, uh, five wickets um, in innings nine times, 10 wickets in a match twice. Um, a rugby blue for Oxford, an athlete, um, represented the University of Oxford against Cambridge. Acrobatics, I love this bit as well. <laughs> CB Fry's party trick. Um, was to leap from a stationary position on the floor backwards onto the mantelpiece. Um, he would face the mantel. I'm trying to picture this. I'm going to read it as it's written, so again, forgive me. He would face the mantelpiece, crouch down, take a leap upwards, turn in the air, and bow to the gallery with his feet planted on the shelf. Persuasion would occasionally get him to perform this turn at country houses, much to the interests of the guests. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Somehow he's leapt onto the mantelpiece from a standing start and done a somersault in the air. Um, but there's much, much more to C.B. Fryer than those sporting achievements. As much as they take the um, you know take the breath away, really, when you read it all, um, he was a teacher, but more importantly, a politician. He was um, a representative for the the Indian legation at the League of Nations, formed after the end of the First World War in Geneva. He assisted uh, his former Sussex cricket teammate Ranjit Sinji. Uh, he assisted him here as the Indian legation at the uh, in Geneva for the League of Nations. He was reputedly, um, no one can really say if this is true, he was reputedly offered the throne of Albania, so he could have become king of Albania, um, which he rep reportedly turned down for reasons that they don't really go into here and stood as a Liberal candidate in a number of elections during the 1920s. Um, one interesting thing, um, journalist as well, I should add that, he appeared on uh, This Is Your Life in the 1950s with Eamon Andrews, um, but he also wrote for Wisdom and, and various newspapers. Um, he suffered with mental health through his whole life, partly some believe, I mean, Thankfully, he's not alive, so I can't, I can't, I don't think, I, you know, whether he's liable or not, I don't know. But um, his wife was um, uh, some fierce battle axe. Beat he married Beatrice Holm Sumner, Sumner, daughter of Arthur Holm Sumner of uh, Hatchlands Park in Guildford. Uh, she was 10 years older than C.B. Fry. And as it puts it in Wiki, um, she was known for her fiery, strong-willed, aggressive personality and she was reckoned by many to be a cruel and domineering woman, and Fryer lived in fear of her for the duration of their marriage. Um, it goes on. 
and she made him thoroughly miserable and he tried to stay away from her as much as possible. Many believe his unhappy marriage impacted on Fryer's mental health. Um, his daughter-in-law observed, I should think anyone would have had a breakdown married to her. So that's quite... Um, uh, in 1984, their son, Stephen, said, my mother ruined my father's life. And Stephen also played first-class cricket. Um, it makes a throwaway comment that the actor and comedian Stephen Fry has claimed to be related, but there's no proof on that. So, an odd life. C.B. Fry playing for Southampton in the fullback position. He only played for Southampton for 16 games, 1900 to 1902, then very, very briefly for Pompey, with one England cap in 1901. Um, a major, a major character, um, probably deserves a show in his own right, perhaps, and maybe I'll think about that some other time. But there we are, C.B. Fry, uh, and on the mill side of matters, Tiny Joyce, two huge characters of contrasting backgrounds and, and, and lives. Now, this was in the Southern League, this fixture. The Lions finished, the Dockers, excuse me, the Dockers finished third that season, Six, forgive me, Southampton finished third on the 42 points, just edged out on goal ratio, as they used in this particular league from Tottenham, the winning team being Portsmouth. Mill Athletic finished six. Now, if you just to go back to my earlier point about the loss of the ground, the athletic ground, literally weeks before the start of the season, a complete new squad. Um, I've really touched on the unfamiliarity of many of those names. But that's a massive achievement to finish in sixth position. It is the burning spirit of Millwall that season. And I will offer up that team, those men, as as others have been on, on occasions over the years since, saviours of our club. So there we are. I'm going to close that there. That's Millwall losing at Southampton by three goals to nil on the 23rd of November 1901. Thanks to the Hampshire Independent, and I have to mention the great advert for um, Lipton's famous cocoa, which they say is strengthening, nourishing, and invigorating, each word getting another exclamation mark. Prices which defy competition. What great adverts they have. Part of the joy of looking at old newspapers, dear listeners, is the old adverts. I'm going to close that game there. Millwall, Southampton 3, Mill nil. 23rd of October, 1901, in the Southern League. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to Action Normal. Welcome back, dear listeners. Now, as I said at the start of this little monologue, um, it feels like a monologue as I'm talking. I hope I'm not sounding like a monologue, but you'll have to be the judge of that. Um, random dates in the past sometimes don't produce an awful lot of content. We were lucky with the Millwall uh, v Southampton game in that there was an actual match report on the random date yesterday anyway. But today it's come up 1937, a very interesting year. But on the November the 24th, um, 1937. Um, not an awful lot to report. So I went to November the 23rd, 1937, and it's just one small piece which fascinated me actually. It's a, this is the Daily Mirror that I'm looking at, I should explain. So I'm looking at the Daily Mirror dated yesterday, 1937, 23rd of November, 1937, and one small paragraph mentions Millwall. And that is to say that Austria FC's visit is off. And just a sentence report. Mills match with Austria FC, which was due to have been played at the Den next Monday, has been cancelled by the Austrian club. That's it. End of report. And then there's other stuff on there. with uh, It's a sports page. So um, Canadian heavyweight Ed Wenstob is um, having a, got a big lump of meat from the butchers there, mutton ready for his dinner. Stuff like that. So I was fascinated by this little report. I mean, this would be 1937-38 season, November, which was a very successful season for us in the end. I had a quick look at the millhistory.org site, and as this game was played, or wasn't played, as this game was postponed, I should say, which would be around about November the 20th, there was an away win on the 20th, an away win at Northampton, a goal by one by one Billy Walsh, who I read in my copy of Lions of the South by James Murray, was a centre forward, a Lancastrian who had been signed quite recently, as this um, newspaper was published, from Scotland, from Heart of Midlovian. They were chasing another player called Delaney, who was playing for Celtic with a more rebuffed. And manager of the day, huge character called Charles Hewitt, Charlie Hewitt. And again, we've touched on in the Neil Fizzler series that I did in the course of the summertime, um, focused attentions on Billy Walsh. Um, and after seeing him play against Partick Thistle, finally signed him on October the 1st. So literally a few weeks before this, this short report, this newspaper on the 23rd of November. Um, Walsh was described as quite a catch, and for a fee of £1,750, just a short of £2,000, um, he had got a man who, in his last Football League season, had scored 33 times for Oldham, and then at Tyne Castle had not been dropped once from one of the top three clubs in Scotland. Billy Walsh had scored the goal at Northampton, which I imagine had been the county ground at that time, Northampton, which I think was shared with. Northampton Football Club. So that 1-0 win in front of 10,000 gave Millwall 23 points and actually put us top of the table in the third division south. Um, but there seems to be a bit of a gap in fixtures for some reason. There's no no fixture of the week after. 
and then a game away at Cardiff on the 4th of December, and then no fixture the week after that to the 18th. But I'm just wondering whether this um, friendly against FC Austria, which they cancelled, was arranged to try and keep the team in in shape because there's a no- noticeable dip in form and they do come back a, few, a series of losses and draws across December that would um, put the lines down to mid-table from top. Um, strange season. Just looking at the, this, this again will deserve a show in its own right, dear listeners. The 1937-38 Third Division South season was, in the end, a successful one. We finished champions in the end, but we began the season on the, on the rise, going top, just as I've said there, just at this game at Northampton, we um, first all, all through uh, October, November. We then have a, a fixture gap, not helped by the cancellation of the, of the fixture we're talking about here, FC Austria. Um, and then we fall back down to mid-table by February 1938. And then a surge, a surge, a middle surge of win on win on win on win as we go through March and April. And then finally, the championship itself secured at Exeter in front of 13,000, a 5-1 win at Exeter on the 7th of May, 1938. And as James Murray describes it, the ground tightly packed, almost all of it with Millwall fans who had made the long trip um, to go and watch the, the Lions, they hope, secure the championship, which they did with a 5-1 five, five, win over Exeter City to jubilant scenes at Waterloo Station when the team returned back to London. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. But that's the 37-38 season. I might look at that in more depth another time, do a little bit more research on that. But this report here is in the Daily Mirror. Um, Mill's match with Austria FC was to have been played at the Den next Monday and has been cancelled by the Austrian club. Now, we don't get any clues to why they've cancelled, but I thought I'd take a look at Austria, um, which I'd take to mean Austria-Vienna, known in the Austrian um, regions and, and German-speaking countries, actually, just as Austria. We, we probably call it Austria-Vienna. Um, this would have been a tumultuous time in Austrian history. The the Anschluss, the absorption by um, Nazi Germany, would follow in 1938. There was a lot of um, agitation amongst the left and right in Austria at this time. The There was a, an Austrian... Nazi party campaigning for union with Hitler's Germany. And that would follow the year after, when, in the months after the uh, the scheduled game between Mill and, and Austria. Um, who knows what caused them to, to, to not be able to make this particular game. I can only speculate that Tumult was, um, you know, running the streets of Vienna at this point. Um, Austria apparently unknown as a Juden club which means um, in, in German taunts uh, the Jewish club. So one can only imagine that it would have been an easy time in the lead-up to what we, we now call Anschluss, the, the, the um, annexation of, of Austria. Um, it's a strange thing to be talking about these subjects in the context of, of football, but life goes on whilst great events unfold. The Austria side were quite a powerful team in 1930s football, and I'm just reading the Wikipedia here. I don't, I don't know this. I'm reading this. Um, winners of a, of a competition called the Mitropa Cup, which was a, a kind of an early forerunner of the European Cup, and then now the Champions League. 
Um, they mentioned the star of their their um, side. It probably would have been a man expected to have come to play at the Den, uh, Matthias Sindelar, um, subsequently voted in 1998 as Austria's greatest footballer. Um, he actually, I believe, committed suicide. Maybe, maybe not. Or was it was it something darker? In 1939, 23rd of January 1939, carbon monoxide poisoning he died of in his apartment. Um, having refused to play for the new combined German and Austrian national team, citing injury and wanting to retire from international football. Now, he met his end um, unresolved, I think is the way that uh, it's described here, and I think we can probably all um, draw our own conclusions. Um, Austria, Vienna, during the course of the um, union with Nazi Germany, became renamed as Sport Club Ostmark Vienna, as an attempt to Germanize it, but it was actually reverted to its Austrian name, Austria Vienne, shortly afterwards, actually, quite bravely in, in 1938. They play in a violet, kind of a violet, all, all violet colour here. Um, so no fixture to report on there. I hope, though, in the context of the events in the wider world, um, that you find that little scrap of information on the in the Daily Mirror on the 23rd of November. 1937, interesting. I, th I always think that football is there and then history goes on around us constantly as it did in these times here too. So I'm going to call it quits there. We have That's two games for the price of one. Or one, one non-game, I suppose, and one game. Um, I hope you found this interesting. I hope you found it, um, you know, something that you might want me to carry. And do let me know. Really do appreciate any feedback we get, um, even the um, even, even when you get um, odd bod um, reviews on on Apple. Um, I do appreciate every bit of feedback that we get. It's, it, if nothing else, it gives me a laugh, and um, you know you get you get good, bad, and, and indifferent reviews. But um, I appreciate it. So let me know what you think of these shows. If you want to hear any more, I'm happy to try and do them more often. And if you don't like it, then please do let me know. I'm not precious about this this kind of stuff. So there we are. Um, that closes the Daily Mirror, 23rd of November 1937. Austria FC are not going to be coming to the Den next Monday. Thank you for listening, dear listeners. Um, for the moment, that's Arriva Dirci. We'll be back after the Reading game with Harry and Michael Avery and the Mill Fan Show. Until then, bye for now. Thank you for listening to Aston Millwall. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. However, Dexter Till next time. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.